0: But I'll start off. So Rachel um, travelled with us in January, actually, when we did the world tour, which is kind of crazy to think about. She's the head of sales and retail partnerships at Afterpay. But prior to Afterpay, she was the global CEO at T2. So for all of us that are familiar with that incredible brand. And then prior to that, she was at Just Group. So you can kind of see that she's got this incredible retail pedigree all the way through to... You know, now at Afterpay, which I think is a business a lot of us look at as incredibly innovative within the retail industry, not just domestically, but it's almost something that you can be weirdly proud as uh, proud of as an Aussie to see how big it has become internationally.
1: So, welcome, Rachel. Hi everyone. <laughs> See, I didn't have to learn how to do Instagram Live after all. I just had to use Zoom that I've been using for the last ten weeks constantly. Hey everyone, happy Monday!
2: So, my first question, can I ask it? Can
1: Steve
2: go? Uh, Rachel, you probably know what this question is going to be. It's an amazing announcement on Friday, and then indeed the result from today about 10 cent. I guess there is an official line, but maybe you'd like to add to it.
1: Of course there's an official line. Yeah, hugely exciting. Um, you know, it's funny, Steve, this time last year I was in Shanghai um, as part of with Paul Greenberg as part of the International um, Retailers Federation. We we're attending a conference. And we went and visited and we saw JD.com and all of that. So sort of to come full circle is pretty amazing. they're an unbelievable business. Um, so you know, they're processing, I think, about a billion transactions a day. So that's something for us in Afterpay to aspire to get to <laughs> is a billion transactions a day. Um, and I think you know, one of the things that you know you're talking about, Steve, being super proud. Well, we should be in you know, an Australian business that has gone global and then um you know been able to sort of have that level of investment from that kind of an organisation is is super exciting. I think, you know, from an Afterpay point of view, Afterpay's philosophy has always been about sort of partnering with retailers, learning from the best and then seeing how we can apply that to help, you know, grow our customers and grow our merchants. So for me, that was a, you know, a hugely exciting, um, you know, announcement for the business and, You know, we um, had set up a subsidiary earlier this year um, with a view of creating a sort of engineering and data hub in Shanghai. So sort of has all um, transpired and um, worked well.
2: Just an amazing result. Just the amazing result. Most, The
1: second most asked question after about the Tencent pur- purchase is that we should have bought more shares when Afterpay was $8. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably been the second most question I've been asked is damn, we should have bought some shares at $8. But, um, you know, I think it's a pretty um, big coup. It's a, the business runs pretty fast, and I think. You know the US numbers which we just sort of talked about in March I think Ant sort of spoke so to have 4.4 million customers in the US after two years and sort of outpacing Klarna and Affirm in the acquisition space just is just shows the sort of a the strength of the brand and um, the team that work there that just drive um, after pay and um, it's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah Mm. excellent so let's, let's get in and ask you a few questions from all of your experience with Afterpay, but even before that experience, just as a retailer. And I guess what the first question is all around how is COVID-19 affecting Afterpay and, uh, and what are the kind of key things you're noticing? What are the things that are really popping out that you're noticing as being different?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean... I mean, I can't even remember April to be honest. It's like it was just <laughs> vanished in a sea of Zoom meetings, and I just thought, oh my god, it's already like the fourth of May, and like, what what happened to April? So, I think you know, everyone just the pace of it, Steve, was just incredible, and you know, just that from a business perspective, what was required and and how to pivot. Um, the most overused word, pivot, along with um, unprecedented. So (laughs) (laughs) I said to myself, don't use them. But, you know, I think just having to move super, super, super quickly. So I think from an afterpay point of view, no different to our retail partners in terms of having to, you know, move quickly and look at how you, um, you know, look at your risk profile from merchant and consumer um, and really, you know, that's something I think I'm super proud of from a team point of view, just dividing the teams and going, okay, so globally, who's going to work on what and how do we think through? So it's this thing of sort of forget everyone's title, everyone has to just get in and help get this the job done, to be honest. Um, and we've obviously got, you know, a large customer service team so from that customer service team all then had to go and work out how they were going to work from home to then looking at sort of merchant and consumer risk and how we were going to sort of trade the business and navigate through Um, you know it was something that even in your wildest dreams you would not have um, thought of this as a potential scenario but I think what has been sort of What the flip side of it is, is that, you know, it's giving retailers a chance to bring forward some of their, um, maybe what was on some of the innovation pipeline from an online point of view, um, and um, as well as then sort of seeing okay, well, how can we do business differently? So I think, you know... It's been a a rocky road and certainly one that no-one ever wants to do again. Um, But I think what will be interesting is just to see um, what shifts remain and what shifts are actually ones that are just a moment in time.
2: I really like this thought of nimbleness, which I think is really what you were talking to about the organisation, that here you were in the month of April, you kind of threw out everything, all your structures, the way in which responsibilities work, and you just kind of said we're going, to, we're going to bang up together and we're going to be incredibly nimble and we're going to just move actively within the landscape, which I really like as a thought. And um, leads me to think, will you remain that nimble or do you think you're going to fall back into old habits?
1: Um, I think it's such it's an interesting one on that whole bit of it was less on um, sort of throwing structures out and more on going whose skill set fits where. Yeah. And so we had people that are in sales that were very good analytical thinkers and great on the process side. So it's like, okay, you guys are moving over into risk. And so I just think it was one on going, if this is a job that's required, who best in the organisation can help? Um, That only works if you've got a clear direction and a clear framework. Otherwise, it's just chaos.
0: So
1: we sort of had stepped out um, sort of an eight-point plan and went, okay, right, well, how are we going to drive the business? Who's going to own what? And then globally, how do you, you sort of make it happen? So. It is crazy time zones and all of that sort of thing. But at the end, it's like, hey, there's a job that needs to get done and we've all got to um, work together to do it. I think what it's done, Steve, is show that there are people within the business who have a great skill set and capability that maybe are in a role that could be leveraged somewhere else. So this sort of classic bit of, well, how do you try and get the best people together to solve Um, problems and help on the growth I think that will absolutely um, continue but it's an interesting one and you know as obviously we talked to a lot of retailers but you know you sort of picture it that really March was everyone was sort of on their back of their heels and you know sort of swinging back in their chair taking a breath and now what you're seeing is retailers going okay well how do we leap forward and um, jump forward to be able to Um, spring into the next sort of six months and what does that look like and I I think that be an interesting space.
2: I really like that reference to kind of being nimble and encouraging people to fit where their skills are. The other thing you talked briefly to there was the thing about bringing forward that online innovation and what are you seeing there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an interesting one, Steve. I was reading something, he was talking about how, you know, the retailers that maybe had under-invested and then got sort of caught with an under-investment, a market that just shifted overnight, like no-one would have thought that the market would have moved the way it did. Um, then sort of you find yourself in a different level of exposure. But I do think there's retailers who um, are looking at, okay, well, how can we collaborate and partner? And collaborate's another word that's sort of chronically overused. But the reality of, well, how do we work with um, landlords, um, suppliers or partners like Afterpay and try and bring forward some of that sort of um, energy and I think sort of innovation. Last week on the... um, podcast um you spoke with podcasts or oh, I think I'm showing my age <laughs> 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 I didn't say on my beta VHS video <laughs> <laughs> see you were talking with Mark and you said about appointment um you know sort of that whole concept of appointment and you know how will retailers adapt. Um, you know, if you think about it, I think that whole notion of wish lists, appointments, um, sort of click and collect, and pick up in store and try on—that is going to be where that space is. Um, I don't think people are going to want to go back into stores. Um, even if they can, then stores will have, um, you know, social distancing regulations. So then, I don't want to go and try on this. Near- witchery if I've then got a queue that's not going to work so I do think there's something in that space on things that have gone on how do we think about making them part of a habit Um, and you know whether it be sort of that that curbside pickup um, etc so I think it'll be interesting to see how people and who adapts the quickest to the new environment.
2: I think it's an interesting point I noticed this morning on a, um, on a news link I got from the American National Retail Federation and oh, yeah. they announced that um, Best Buys yes. were moving, they've reopened about 25% of their stores today and all of them were going to be appointment only. And yeah. they made an appointment to come in and see the Best Buy people so they could restrict the number of people in the store. But I feel it also kind of leads to this whole concept of a more personalised service. And I certainly do feel safer in there, wouldn't
1: well, I? Well, I think it's also, you know, if you think through the digital side, so there's so many people that have now moved into online and purchased online that had never purchased before or have either increased their online purchases. So how do you not sort of walk away and forget about that but actually go, hey, how do I take that online experience and translate it into in-store? Because I think, you know, if you think through the stats previously... Um, you know, So Gen Z, 76% want an in-store experience, prefer in-store to online. So that's not going away. It's just how do retailers adapt to that um, new world and either have them purchased online but come in-store and give them some kind of offer or welcome or what's your experience going to be? Um, and I just, you know, one thing I was thinking on the weekend, I was in a shop. And it was only allowing six people in. Well, no one could work out. And everyone was standing at the front trying to count. Who's is there six in there? Is that stuff? So I'm like, we've got to work out a way of handing, you know, either the six numbers over, or you've got we've got to sort of come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. And I do, think, as you think through for Christmas, um, it'll be really interesting to see how that trade lands because I think that will be one where. You know, um, if you're a retailer who normally you're wanting very high sales per square meter, you want a great usage of your rental space, but that's not necessarily going to be able to work because you've got a, you know, say typical footprint, 120 square metres, well, you're not gonna be able to have 40, 50 you know, customers in that store. So, you know, it's now as the negotiations go on with landlords, how do you get more space? What are you doing on supply chain? So I do think those retailers who are starting to sort of push forward and think about some of those questions, because um, I think that's gonna remain until December.
0: Mm. So on that then, because something we were talking about earlier, and I think it's probably something I've been quite interested in over the last couple of years, which is the effect of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that kind of cyber week, which arguably, you know, maybe three years ago, I think a lot of people looked at it as being very American, the whole Thanksgiving through to, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, not necessarily part of Australian culture. And then all of a sudden... Two years ago, it started to eat into Christmas sales and Boxing Day sales to what we saw last year, which was really pulling spend away. What do you think in terms of like post-COVID-ish, I'm assuming, like what do you think this will look like with physical Christmas sales or that Christmas period versus the role of digital now that more of us are shopping online and, and how that Black Friday will show up?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting how quickly things move. So if you think through sort of three years ago, Black Friday was sort of a thing, but not really a thing. And last year, it was definitely a thing. (laughs) Um, And so what you saw is really, you know, you really now have to compare November and December together. And they're almost like one big trading block because it was previously just all about December and that sort of 10 days before Christmas and Boxing Day and no doubt with Black Friday it's now made it actually November and December with a big dip underneath. Um, So I think, you know, maybe it flattens it out a little bit. Um, I think that the online component will absolutely still remain um, but you'd like to think that there's an opportunity to try and um, flatten out a bit of that sort of sales peak. Because um, I think retailers are going to be looking for how they can drive full price sales because mm. they're going to have to quit. I mean, I think the interesting bit will be as stores open and depending on the time, like what retailers do with the stock and inventory that they're currently carrying in their stores. Um, and I think they'll have to sort of think through how do we try and quit that stock and, um, you know, that sort of balance. But I think November and December will be really interesting, in inverted commerce because you know, if you think through the stimulus, um, you know, goes to September, so it's whether or not, you know, the government then puts a further stimulus in place or what happens with the economy. So unemployment will be what will be, Steve, 10% probably.
2: I suspect it'll be higher. Yeah. I think um, the economic downturn is something we're only just beginning to feel. I think, you know, um, you look at a lot of retailers still had pretty good marches. Some retailers in certain categories even had good Aprils. I think um, the economic downturn, which is obviously going to follow the COVID downturn, is probably more like July, August, and I think it's then how we make our way out of it. But I think by the time we get to August, we could easily have 11%, 12% unemployment.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think then how retailers manage to that consumer and that change in the consumer base um, I mean, I think there's an interesting thing. Every single person I, I you know I was know on TikTok. So all this sort of bit on everything that everyone's been amusing themselves with while they've been in, in lockdown and isolation, how do retailers play in that space? Because, I mean, TikTok and all of the, you know, consumers looking for retailers on YouTube, That's just all amplified. So now everyone's stuck. They've got nothing else to do but go online. So what you are seeing is retailers back on TV. Um, The Accent Group have been on there quite heavily with a number of TV ads. So um, you're seeing some different retailers go on TV as sort of consumers are much more focused in what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see where that... um, sort of uh, shakes out and what, what happens in terms of the trends.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting on that point because the thing I've noticed is how COVID has not just shaped retail business but actually to your point about TikTok, all of a sudden these social platforms like Twitch, TikTok, Zoom, that essentially you, I don't know, I probably wouldn't have bet on Zoom, I would have said Skype, say, like a couple of years ago and all of a sudden and then TikTok even because you kind of go on it and you're like, what is this? <laughs> like what? But it's incredibly joyful and kind of a great distraction from what's going on. And then Twitch, the kind of the rise of esports and gaming, that I think there's been a real shift in the media landscape and a further fragmentation of where that interest and where people are watching. So I have a couple of questions on here. Oh, yes. Okay, and I, have a, I feel like I'm going to start with like quite a controversial question, though I don't know if it was meant to be controversial when it was written. So the, the it's from Cromo, and it says, uh, you think COVID will change retail forever and it's not just a six-month thing, question mark, specifically across, across overall strategy? So I think there's the question of how big is this? Is it Does it fully affect business strategy or what parts of it are just smaller.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it does change business strategy, there's no doubt, because I think if if Steve's saying, I'm saying 10% unemployment, Steve's going higher, you go to the US, they're at 16% already, so that's going to be, you know, 20 plus, I mean, just just terrifying numbers, and then the UK and the US are both still grappling with how to manage it, so I think you can't have that kind of um death in economies and not think that that changes um the business strategy so i think it'll be interesting i think the importance of in-store retailing remains as it is on digital, so um, sort of all these retail apocalypse stories that always continue, the, the, the retail principles remain the same, you know. Um, great product, great brand, great messaging and tight on cost control, that's going to continue to be absolutely true versus um, thinking that there's going to be a seismic shift in retailing. Mm-hmm. I do think that there'll be, you know, those brands that... Um, are focused on and have a very strong niche position a voice and a clear articulation um, will win. Um, And then those brands that are sort of larger and maybe were in trouble before, now that's going to just be exposed even more.
2: I'll just pick up on that point about brands that might have been in trouble. I love the quote from Scott Galloway where he said, just think of COVID as an accelerator. Yeah. So, everything you knew that was going to happen, but you were thinking it was probably going to happen over three to five years, it's now more than likely going to happen in less than half that time. Mm. So, just think of COVID as an accelerator. So, if we've seen the decline in certain categories, we've seen a shift to certain areas, like we had seen a constant growth shift to online indiscretionary retail. Now, of course, it's accelerating at an accelerating rate. Um, we've seen a decline in certain parts of the mix of retail. Those are the retailers which are the ones that appear to be getting in trouble the most. So I think his comment is a really relevant comment. Just think of COVID-19 as an accelerator. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think if you were, you know, the, the, if you've got a underinvested Um, tech stack then you know there's nothing you're going to do with that right so there's this sort of interesting bit you're absolutely right so you know retailers that have got you know 20 percent of of 25 percent of their stores that are borderline or loss making then those are the stores that are going to go so that's the
2: point that's accelerating all that all that thing's accelerating
1: yeah, so they might have gone next year. All they're doing is bringing that forward.
2: That's and COVID, yeah.
1: So I think that beyond, you know, and I think it's also given retailers a chance to test. So you're certainly seeing some testing in spaces um, where it's interesting to go, okay, well, will we dabble. Well, you can now try. And sort of COVID gives everyone permission to get out there and do things a little bit differently to try and see how to stimulate and and engage your consumer. But, you know, Steve, if you weren't sure who your customer was before, then this isn't going to help you.
2: No, it will not. No, It will not. It's
1: got very slow speed on your website, and your you know you had challenges on. Are you fulfilling from warehouse? Are you fulfilling from store? I mean, those things that they are always going to remain. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's made um, you know it'll be interesting to see the consumer sentiment out of it and how local and, you know, some of those neighbourhood trends which we'd seen, whether that just helps to amplify those. Mm -hmm. So those retailers that can actually anchor into their community, be really interested to see if that's a trend that then gets, as you say, gets brought forward with COVID.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got another question this time from the wonderful Sandra (laughs) Dee. Anna, and she says, has the average age of your customer increased with more people shopping online during COVID?
1: Yes, an interesting one. Um, so Alpha Beta, um, so Andrew Charlton, they put out a report today and sort of said that out of a survey, so 36% in that survey had um, used Buy Now, Pay Later as a for the first time as a result. So I think... Afterpay has a wide, uh, such a wide um, sort of merchant group, if you like. We've got about 38,500 um, merchants in Australia. So our average age was 33 to 34 um, and we've still seen that average age hold true. So um, we have seen new customers that we obviously hadn't um, seen previously who are looking for a way to sort of manage their budget um, you know, sort of in a sort of, I guess, an easy way and pretty transparent way. Um, so we're seeing new customer acquisition, absolutely but no significant change in the age.
0: Mm. And then I've got a repeat question, but I'll bring it up anyway, just for anyone that missed the beginning of the discussion. Um, what does the ten percent acquisition of a five percent stake mean for Afterpay?
1: I just think it means opportunity for Afterpay. So I think we saw it with the Coterie announcement last year, you know, that gave us access to, you know, the best teams, the best technology and some of the best thinking. And I think how do you always try and push yourselves as a business? So having them as a um, stakeholder is a huge opportunity for the business. I think Ant spoke about, you know, if there's a chance through WeChat that, you know, Chinese consumers could come to Australia and when they do, they could use Afterpay, I mean, I'd be, be thrilled with that. <laughs> um, so I think it's just, uh, you know, helping to unlock, you know, different doors. I think that the purchase was really off the back of, as we said, accelerated customer growth in the US. But also, you know, as you said, Pippa, a pretty proud moment for an Australian business to get uh-huh. that kind of, um, an investment. So...
2: Just be, um, coming back onto the COVID.
1: I'm the first one was on the plane to go to Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if that's a byproduct, coming in.
2: <laughs> so who who do you think are some of the big winners coming out of COVID? What what categories do you think we will see in accelerated growth?
1: Um, I think absolutely anything to do with athleisure, home. Um, You know, those categories, that sort of whole wellness space, people are now realising whilst they love the gym, they could actually do it at home. So those categories are, are significant. Everything related to home, so home, office, people are buying things, they're sprucing up, you know, they're sick of everything that they've been looking at for eight weeks and want to refresh everything. Um, And then I do think that beauty is a category, not necessarily lipsticks, but makeup, but actual beauty. Uh, And I think the rise of wellness in beauty is one that we'll see. So we saw the makeup cartel um, sort of investment that went on last Friday. So I think there'll be more in that space, but that sort of sense of how do we look after ourselves? How do we look after the community? I think that as a category was always there before and will certainly um, rise. And no doubt that some of the mixed discount department stores have done done very well off the back of sort of having a, a sort of a wide remit and a wide mix use. So I think they'll do very well.
2: But isn't that an interesting point you say on discount department stores? And we know that Big W had some good numbers. We know that Kmart's numbers were flat but we know that Target really struggled. So, um, you know, interesting to think about how that plays out.
1: Well, I think, you know, um, you know, if you think through each of those, it's the question of so what does the customer know about your brand and therefore why am I going there? So Big W, you know, if you think about them, they've anchored in sort of family, home, everyday low prices, toy sale. So I think that position is sort of pretty clear. It's just, you know, if you took away the front of your sign and your logo, what is it about your store that people understand? Mm. And I think sometimes that's a can be a difficult area um, when you're getting into some of the larger and some of those other brands. So I think those challenges of how you turn around and steer a big ship, I think that's a challenge for a number of those brands.
2: Yeah, maybe come back to the subject we were talking about a little while ago, about the extraordinary level of growth we've seen in the last two months in online, and let's talk about where we think that lands going forward. So maybe in four, five months' time, what do we think um, the, um, the rate of online sales will be compared to where it had been?
1: I think it all flatten out to so you know you're talking about you know a pull forward of. So so I almost think it'd be interesting to do the trend, but it feels like it's brought forward six months in terms of that online spend. So I think if you ran the numbers, it feels like those growth rates will continue. I do think customers want the in-store experience. They want the conversation. They want to see things. They want to wander through. They want to experience it. So I think that they'll start to slow down, but those retailers who can do purchases in store, send to my home, all of those things that that we've loved about online because it makes it super convenient. Mm-hmm. So how can you take that and apply that to your store and remove the friction? Mm-hmm. And also fun. I mean, your point about like it's so doom and gloom. I just guess it's like you know that's why everyone wants TikTok and every other stupid video. It's because it's fun and it just makes us laugh. So I think the sort of messaging from retailers has to be one of optimism and you know enjoyment and because it's like oh my god i can't read any more of this depressing news and that's the space for stores to actually you know help people just have a bit of a relaxing time and not you know sort of focus on everything like leave everything else outside
2: so yeah. it just may be a, a, a parting question then what might be the two or three things you'd like to leave retailers with as something which they might Think about or work on in the future.
1: Um, I, I mean, I, last thing retailers need is more unsolicited. <laughs> than, than like me. It used to drive me crazy, Steve. I'd be like, oh, another person telling me what to do. But
2: yeah, but sometimes it just helps. It gives a fresh point of view.
1: No, no, I agree. But I think there's something in, um, you know, how are you going to think about managing your business in peak trade? And what, what is the, you know, two things that have maybe you are pushing out in terms of technology and innovation that you're going to bring forward? And then I think is, um, you know, how do you, if you've got new customers that have come on board into your brand or you've got existing customers, how do you reinvigorate um, your customer base and use this as a chance to almost do a reset for your business? Yeah.
2: Oh, that seems like that's pretty wise wise and consistent advice. A really yeah. wise and consistent well, advice.
1: Well, and I think there's, you know, if you've got retail stores, the other is, is you know, remember when we went had the opportunity, which was fantastic at Le Bon Marché? Yeah, um,
2: you're going to mention that. <laughs> that
1: was fantastic. But it was just for me that sort of piece on every single week being in your store, being in your business, talking to your customers that you just cannot move away from that. And that's critical to understand what's going on and what's the shift in the market. Um, And I think your point on being nimble, I think we're going to have to be that for another 12 months. So I think, you know, you might see some optimism in the numbers, but, you know, I'm an optimistic pessimist. So (laughs) I think you want to have a sense of what the downside could be as well. Yeah, which I think is,
0: it's funny because I think that's similar to what Mark was saying, you know, it was like plan for the worst, hope for the best and I think that's right. I think we're in a weird position where things are looking up though we know economically we're in now. it's, It's like a different phase that we're entering and so, yeah, like monitoring and knowing what's happening every day with the customer, how they're feeling, how you can react to that. Injecting optimism I think is a large part of that
1: yeah. And, 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 um, and last thing, but just to look for where the opportunities are. So there are small opportunities everywhere. It may be on your loyalty. It may be on the range. It may be on, you know, a free freight or some pricing mechanism. But where is the opportunity that you can um, maximise? Because it's just... Five opportunities worth 5% and then then off you go. So, um, you know, I think that the strongest retailers are those that hustle, hustle, hustle for that customer and the consumer dollar and that is, um, you know, that's always going to be the case. And now more than ever, everyone needs to move and hustle quickly.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that I think after the last... (laughs) nearly two months of kind of being in a state of hibernation that most people have a, a desperate need to get back into their businesses and maybe they do it with a real sense of joy, a real sense of positiveness but to actually try and bring something new to their businesses in a really constructive way.
1: And something fun, I mean, I'll I'll let everyone go, but we did see on our numbers um, with the Queensland, New South Wales and WA, so we saw the strength of those numbers in those states as some of the restrictions are starting to lift. Mm. So that thing about what's your sense of optimism and fun and because people are wanting that. So I think certainly we're seeing those numbers that customers are wanting to get out there. So how are you planning for that? Um, especially with your teams too, because it's sort of a bit weird to be going back in and so how are you helping the store teams to, you know, manage through that and have a bit of fun with the customer? Um, mm. I think that sort of will be super important. Yeah. Mm. Right. Well,
0: I will say thank you, hum. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's been an absolute joy, full of wisdom yes. as always.
2: Yeah. Lots um, of great advice. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for making the time to do this.
2: We really um, appreciate yeah. it, as I, as I hope most of the retailers listening in appreciate it. Yes. Really, thank you so very much. Happy uh,
0: retailing. So that was a wonderful conversation with Rachel Kelly of Afterpay. Um, if you join us next Tuesday, we'll be talking with Lorna Jane of Lorna Jane. And the following Monday... We'll be talking to John Slack-Smith from Harvey Norman. And then the Monday after that, we'll be talking to Chris Wildsmith, who is the CEO of Mita 10 New Zealand. All of these conversations will be recorded and you can find them exactly where you found this one. If you're looking for more information, you can head to our website, which is www.retailoasis.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter.
1: Thank you.